listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Hello, and welcome to BMO's In Tune podcast. In this episode, we plan to discuss takeaways and themes from the BMO 2020 Prescriptions for Success Healthcare Conference, which took place on June 23rd. This multi-track conference, which this year was held in a virtual format, created an outstanding forum for vigorous conversations on the state of the healthcare sector across biotechnology, pharmaceuticals, and healthcare services. I am joined on the podcast by five of our lead equity research analysts who hosted the conference, and who specialize in various areas across the healthcare continuum. As we proceed through the conversation today, I'll turn to each of these analysts for their industry-specific takeaways from the conference, and then we'll wrap it up with a brief discussion of some of the companies and stocks we believe could be best positioned to succeed over the long term. With that, let's go to uh, specialty pharmaceuticals, where our lead analyst is Gary Nachman. Gary, what were some of your takeaways from the event? Thanks, Todd. Uh, you know, first, I just want to say we were really pleased with the outcome of our conference, even though it was in a virtual format this year. The discussions throughout the day were very engaging and very informative. So we were very pleased with the overall outcome of the conference. So last Thursday, we published the full recap of our takeaways from the Spec Pharma portion of the conference. That has a lot of good data points in it for anyone out there that has a chance to read through it. We included our 12 covered companies that were there three non-covered companies, and also highlights from a keynote discussion with Dr. Eric Feilding, a leading epidemiologist and health economist that was really timely. So first I'll highlight a couple of key themes from the conference and the stocks that are most impacted. Clearly, COVID-19 was the topic du jour that everyone had to address up front, um, and it was definitely a mixed bag. While there were some companies that were hit pretty hard, during the peak of the pandemic, like Pacera, Flexion, and Malincrot, there are other companies that have been pretty resilient throughout the pandemic, like Horizon, Optinos, and Amphistar. But the outlook for the recovery from here was consistently positive for most of the companies, which was great to hear. The one that was most bullish on the pace of the recovery was Pacera, uh, where procedures are coming back pretty quickly. And a lot of that is being driven outside the hospitals in the ambulatory surgical centers. Another major theme was underappreciated pipeline. And a key takeaway was that many clinical trials that were paused due to COVID-19 have been resuming. And there's also no expectations for any real regulatory delays at FDA. So there are a whole bunch of upcoming pipeline catalysts that were highlighted that could drive stock appreciation. A few worth mentioning are Trevi, with a statistical reassessment for the Nalbufine ER Phase three trial in Parigonodularis in July, Equestive, with a Padufa filibrivant in refractory seizures on September 27th, and Aptinix, with Phase two data in PTSD by the end of the year. Those would all be significant needle mo- uh, movers for all of those stocks. Next. Um, I want to mention a company at our conference that we felt most bullish on in terms of the fundamentals, and it was definitely Horizon, which has been our top pick this year. 
The key incremental data point worth highlighting is their optimism on the use of Tepeza, a newly launched orphan drug for thyroid eye disease, or TED, not just in active patients, but also in inactive or fibrotic patients. For the first time, they put a number on the inactive market opportunity and said there's about 70,000 of those patients in the U.S. compared to just 15 to 20,000 active patients that everyone's numbers have been based on, including Horizon's peak sales target of greater than a billion. So a lot of potential upside there if they can successfully tap into the inactive portion of the TED market. The company we felt most bearish on coming out of the conference was definitely Mallinckrodt. They have real liquidity issues and told us that they had to do a bigger restructuring to help their cash situation. So these guys are still in a very difficult place. And as we've been highlighting for some time now, we think investors should just continue to stay away from that stock. Last couple of points um, I want to make are regarding the Feigl Ding keynote. He had some good insights on COVID-19 that unfortunately expressed a lot of concern in several areas. He believes there's been a lot of misinformation to the public on the use of masks that he thinks should be at 95% compliance for the pandemic to shrink. And also with testing, uh, where his concern is that the growth in testing is outstripping the growth in cases in many states. He's also hopeful on a near-term vaccine approval, but concerned that widespread deployment will take time and will be challenging. He did strike a positive tone, though, on the improving sentiment in biopharma as a result of the pandemic, since many companies have been working hard to be part of the solution. We agree with that point and had actually highlighted that in our BMO department piece on COVID-19 back in mid-April. That has been a very good tailwind for the outperformance that we've seen in the sector thus far in 2Q. Um, So hopefully that will continue from here. So that's basically our takeaways on the macro front, a few stock-specific points, and then also the Feigelding keynote. Um, And with that, I'll turn it back to you, Todd. Got it. Just a quick follow-up question for you there, Gary. Just uh, regarding Horizon and Tepeza, you know, the potential for use in TED patients, how much upside do you think there could be from that opportunity? I'm not sure if you've been able to quantify it, but, you know, what, what are your thoughts around that? Uh, Sure, Todd. So, you know, first, just to repeat what we said before, there are 15 to 20,000 active TED patients and 70,000 inactive. So the number of addressable patients is essentially quadrupled with inactive. The label that Horizon got for the approval was a broad label for TED overall, even though their phase three study was only in active patients. Uh, They plan on doing a small open label study early next year in inactive patients to help inform physicians how to use it in those patients, but they don't have to expand the label. Um, And reimbursement so far has been very good for both active and inactive patients. So, Todd, if you do the math, at a net price of $200,000 per course of therapy, you only need 5,000 patients to get to the company's current 1 billion peak sales potential, that's less than a third of just active patients. Um, And a lot of physicians we've spoken to about this see potential utility for Tepeza across the board in TED for both active and inactive. So, you know, we could be looking at an opportunity in the multi-billions, two, three, or even greater than that, which means 
there could still be a lot of upside to the stock from here. All right. That's great, Gary. Appreciate uh, appreciate that. Now let's turn to our three biotechnology analysts. That's Matt Lucchini, George Farmer, and Doe Kim for their thoughts. Gentlemen, the floor is yours. How did you feel coming out of the conference? Let's start it out with Matt Lucchini. Matt, over to you. Great. Thanks, Todd. So, yeah, I mean, you know, coming out, it really felt like a great conference. We were able to host 30 covered biotech companies, as well as a therapeutics panel on emerging treatment modalities in atopic dermatitis and psoriasis with two uh, well-known dermatologists. You know, at a, at a high level, despite the many challenges this year from, from COVID, would say that the overall tone was, was positive with management teams highlighting clinical and commercial progress across their businesses, catalysts on the horizon, which keep us optimistic on the outlook for the group going forward. Um, you know, getting a little bit more granular. So maybe I'll talk a little bit about the panel first and then uh, highlight one stock in particular. So as I mentioned, we hosted two dermatologists to talk about emerging treatments in atopic dermatitis and psoriasis. And there are a few key takeaways I'd point out. There's a, there's a first, there's a high unmet need in topicals for ato in atopic dermatitis, which bode well, bodes well for insights jacophy especially if it can avoid the cardiovascular and cancer risk box safety warning that's seen with oral JAK inhibitors. Two, both docs are very positive on Regeneron's Dupixent. It's safe, it's effective, and it fills an unmet need. Three, they were, they were generally cautious on emerging uh, mechanisms. For oral JAKs, uh, like, like Pfizer's Abracitinib, the concern is about safety and the aforementioned box warning though they expect the oral form will still appeal to some. For T-slip, and this is Amgen's tezepelumab, they like the mechanism of action, but are unsure if success in asthma will translate into success in atopic dermatitis. For psoriasis, the physicians like Amgen's or Tesla, but, but see its main advantage being its oral formulation. On the company side, you know, I want to highlight Apelis, APLS, one of our top SMIDCAP picks. Um, our discussion focused on uh, in-depth on PNH and how lead product Pegcetacoplan is well-positioned to be a best-in-class treatment, not only in EVH-driven PNH, but potentially for any PNH patients with anemia. Our discussion emphasized the importance of reducing transfusion burden, uh, regardless of baseline transfusion status, which could allow the drug to see broader use and thus upside to our 400 million peak sales number. Also touched on regulatory and commercial and what I think is incremental here was management's discussion of pricing and access strategy, really emphasizing the importance of making pegsetacoplan broadly available, which supports our view on a likely discounted uh, price relative to Alexion, Solaris, and Altamiris. Finally, we touched on the ongoing uh, geographic atrophy trials, um, had an extensive discussion on how the strength of phase 2A gives management a high conviction on phase 3, where data are expected right around this time next year. And, you know, that will likely prove to be one of the biggest clinical events in all of 2021. Uh, with that, let me hand the floor back to you, Todd. Great, Matt, appreciate that. With that, let's turn it over to, uh, to George Farmer. George, let's hear your thoughts. Thanks, Todd. This is George. Um, you know, we felt very good coming out of the conference. We had, uh, at least in the track that we were hosting, uh, the opportunity to speak with a number of companies that were involved in oncology, 
autoimmune disease, cardiovascular disease, and infectious disease. Top of mind was the theme of COVID. Uh, and to that end, I uh, just want to say that, you know, based on a lot of the due diligence that we have done in both the therapeutic space and in the vaccine space uh, for potential treatments and prevention of COVID, is that we're very optimistic. We think that uh, something ultimately is going to kick in, which is really going to get people um, healthy again, protected, and hopefully back to work and back out on on the streets. Uh, one particular company that we had the opportunity to speak with uh, was Moderna. We had the CEO, uh, Stefan Bansel, uh, with us for 30 minutes, and that was an, an extremely engaging conversation. Um, as many of you may know, Moderna is a very high-profile company these days, has one of the leading vaccines in development for uh, protecting against coronavirus infection and uh, has announced that uh, they plan to enter a, a 30,000 participant phase three trial in July, uh, any day now, um, which is an amazingly uh, ambitious goal that they've set out. But based on how fast their programs have been moving, it certainly seems very likely that this is going to be kicking off per the timeframes that they've laid out. Um, what we've seen so far from their coronavirus vaccine is results from 45 participants that participated in an early phase one study that was run by uh, NIAID, which is a division of the National Institute of Health. This particular trial was designed to investigate the vaccine in three cohorts of patients each given a different dose. What we learned as interim results were presented mid-May was that all of the participants, 45 of them, developed an antibody response to the vaccine. And that's what you want to see. The key question is, is do those antibodies do anything? Do they neutralize the virus? And ultimately, does that neutralization translate into a protection against infection? What we also learned was that eight out of eight participants who were inoculated developed neutralizing antibodies, meaning that those antibodies prevented the virus from infecting cells in a Petri dish. It does not tell us whether, in fact, that these antibodies were protective, but that's incredibly optimistic, we think, that we're seeing this treatment effect. Um, the stock really has kind of been on the seesaw, as many people have speculated that you know these numbers are too small, that management has been selling stock and taking advantage of a high stock price while at the same time raising over a billion dollars for the company. And there's there's been a lot of controversy around the way this whole message has been managed. We're cutting through all that, and we see that this vaccine certainly appears to be active by this these results, as well as other results from a number of preclinical studies looking at similar vaccines in mice and in monkeys. Uh, seeing reports from other vaccine companies coming from other other clinical trials. And we think that uh, Moderna really could have, in fact, an active vaccine candidate and could be on its way to becoming one of the first. So what we're waiting for is the kickoff of this uh, phase three trial that, again, will enroll 30,000 participants. Uh, we're waiting for the publication of the phase one clinical trial, which will have not only those eight out of eight participants that had neutralizing antibodies, but all 45. And that's what everyone is really focused on. Did the remaining 37 participants in that trial, did they in fact develop the neutralizing antibody response? 
Then there's this whole phase two program in the middle of the phase one and three that is targeted to enroll 600 participants. The company uh, announced that they had 350 participants enrolled after only 13 days of the trial being opened. That's what we talked about with uh, the CEO. That gave him the comfort that the vaccine is safe and the green light to launch into this big trial. So there's going to be a lot of news flow coming from this company over the next uh, six to 12 months. Um, And again, we're really very optimistic that Moderna will have a vaccine out there. And if it's not Moderna, it's going to be someone else. And that's going to be uh, great for for the globe. Um, We also had the chance to talk to a small company uh, that has been on our radar for quite some time, a company called Protagonist. This is um, a company that is devoted to a, a novel peptide therapy platform. They reported some really quite surprising results uh, with their drug in a rare blood disorder. Um, this drug is, is, a, is a drug that's involved in normalizing iron metabolism and had an amazing effect in just a handful of patients. Uh, the stock took off on that news. The company was able to capitalize, uh, finance the company, got itself in a really good place. And we expect to see some more results from this clinical trial uh, before the end of the year and next. So we're keeping a, a really close eye on protagonists going forward as, as one of our, our top small cap ideas. With that, Todd, I'll turn it over to Doe and he can share his thoughts. Great. Thanks, George. Thanks, Todd. Um, so like you heard from George, We had a good number of biotech companies providing some incremental update or data point at our conference. I just want to highlight two of the presentations uh, from Schrodinger and BioXL. First on Schrodinger, ticker SDGR. This is a drug discovery software company, uh, recently IPO'd and our top mid-cap pick. The key takeaway from our discussion with management was the recently announced collaboration with Thermo Fisher for their cryo-EM technology. And and to explain why this is a very important collaboration, Thermo Fisher's highly advanced instrument, cryo-EM, that gets you the 3D structures of proteins. And a key limitation of Schrodinger software is that if you don't know the protein structure, then the software is not useful. So this is just another step in reducing those limitations of computational drug design and creating more distance from any potential competitor. The other point we want to make is that in this COVID environment and potentially ongoing pandemic, we expect the business to remain resilient. And if there are more lockdowns and social restrictions, that could actually push biopharma customers to use Schrodinger's platform more and away from the physical in-person discovery methods that these companies have traditionally used. Uh, For BioXL, ticker BTAI, uh, we had the newly hired chief commercial officer, William Kane, and he made his first public appearance at our conference. Uh, He addressed a key risk to the lead program, BioXL's lead program, and that's the market opportunity for BXEL501, for acute agitation in schizophrenia and bipolar patients. He comes with 30 years of experience in drug commercialization uh, with several big pharma and biotechs, uh, including Allergan, Pfizer. And when you look at this lead program, I think investors could get comfortable with the clinical studies, uh, especially the phase three, which we're expecting data soon, and the prior studies support a positive outcome. But the commercial opportunity is a bit more challenging. It's a highly fragmented market. 
not one drug that you could really look at and say, this is why agitation is a multi-billion dollar opportunity. So I thought the new chief commercial officer was very effective in outlining a clear commercial strategy that made sense. And it provides a better message to investors, uh, gives us confidence that they can achieve our estimate of $3 billion in peak sales. So lastly, we're, we're still looking forward to the two phase three data sets in July. Uh, we still expect them to be positive and uh, NDA filing in the first quarter of 2021. And that's it. Back to you, Todd. All right. Doe, thank you. Last up for the uh, healthcare team, let's turn it over to uh, Matt Borsch, our lead analyst on managed care and healthcare services and facilities. Matt, what did you uh, take away from the conference? All right. Thanks, Todd. Well, let me just say we had uh, seven very interesting fireside chats uh, with payer and provider companies. And, you know, let me just mention uh, that would include Anthem, Centene, uh, and Humana on the managed care side, and then on the provider company side, uh, Encompass, hospital company UHS, Emeticis, which is a home healthcare company, and Addis, which is also a, a home healthcare company. So we got a pretty good uh, spectrum view from the standpoint of healthcare services. And, you know, look, the, the, the backdrop here obviously was uh, the pandemic and the impact on volumes. And so, you know, that was an immediate focus we, we went back over the, uh, the volume situation and recent history, and almost all of the companies spoke to is volumes having drastically declined as people avoided the healthcare system, except, of course, COVID-19 patients, uh, and, and volumes bottomed out around mid-April. Uh, that was a pretty universal view. And then since then, started to recover pretty briskly. Uh, although pretty much from everyone's view, still somewhat below where you'd expect normal trend uh, to be in, uh, you know, at this point in the year. Now, in terms of where the outlook uh, is going from here, I think most of the companies expect volumes to remain somewhat below normal, at least into the uh, early part, if not past the early part of the third quarter. And I would say companies also generally expect volumes to fully recover uh, as we get into 2021. I think there's sort of a gap there where, where the outlook is less certain about what's going to happen uh, you know, as we get into the latter part of the third quarter and into the fourth quarter. Are we going to be talking about a rebound fully to normal, perhaps past fully, if the pent-up demand uh, pulls through more procedures and trend goes above normal? My own bias, you know, we'll, we'll see, but my own bias is that volumes are probably going to remain consistently below normal trend throughout the rest of this year. And I think that may continue somewhat into 2021. Now, in terms of the earnings impact this is having, not surprisingly, uh, this is actually coming as an earnings benefit, given the, the, the low, low claims costs for the managed care companies. And it's coming as a very significant drag for the provider companies. Now, on the managed care side, what we're finding is the companies are pulling as many levers as they can to try to normalize earnings. In other words, they're really trying to tamp down uh, their excess earnings. And some of that is through actions providing relief specifically to providers, customers, to employers, 
really on a one-off basis rather than locking into any policy that they would have to sustain past the point where they're over-earning. So that, that's what the companies are really focused on here. And in fact, of the three that we had, Humana seems to, in some ways, have the biggest issue with an excess of earnings. Uh, you know, they're talking about second quarter being an excess of $10. And, you know, just think about that fact. That's nearly twice what analysts uh, a couple of months ago had been projecting for the second quarter. But then they are saying they're going to manage to their pre-COVID guidance for full year 2020 as we go through this year. So that sets up an interesting situation. Again, directionally similar to the other managed care companies, uh, but, but a little more extreme. On the provider side, again, very big hits, uh, depending on what, you know, the hospitals definitely uh, had it the worst. The home health com- companies probably among the providers had the least impact but they're all impacted negatively going into the second quarter, but they're starting to pull out a bit. And again, the home healthcare companies least impacted are you know, pretty much set for third quarter being very close to, uh, to, to normal trends. Now, let me hit on a couple other points before I wrap up here. I just want to say, as we look at Medicare Advantage, particularly talking to Humana, open enrollment is proceeding normally. Whether we see an impact on Medicare Advantage for the 2021 open enrollment series, uh, uh, period is really going to depend on where the pandemic is at that stage. It may be somewhat compromised if we're still in a somewhat of a shutdown mode by the time we get to the start of that in mid-October. So we'll have to wait and see. In terms of Medicaid, Medicaid is, of course, the stopgap for people losing coverage if they're low income enough, uh, which, you know, obviously there has been loss of coverage, job losses and so forth. So there's been a significant expansion of Medicaid coverage. Uh, and, and that's then you know, particularly a boon for companies like Centene. At the same time, there's a focus on whether the states, given the fiscal pressures that they are experiencing in this environment, are going to be able to maintain funding and reimbursement rates. We think they will on the whole, uh, given the fact that the federal government is picking up so much of the tab and also given the fact that if they're trying to squeeze money by, they're trying to save money by squeezing the margins of the managed care companies, that's only going to buy them a little bit, particularly considering how much of the tab the federal government is picking up. And then you also have to consider the statute requiring actuarial soundness on reimbursement rates. Last but not least, on the commercial front, uh, we're definitely seeing declines in coverage there, but it isn't nearly as drastic as what we saw in the Great Recession 2008 and 2009. And one of the big reasons is because there are so many employers who have furloughed employees and at the same time uh, they maintain coverage. Let me just make one last comment. There was discussion, of course, about the November election. And I think, you know, now that, that Biden is the presumptive uh, nominee on the Democratic side and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are no longer in the mix, the range of potential outcomes has narrowed considerably, uh, you know, but there are still, you know, differences depending on, on who wins. And with a focus on what a Biden administration might do uh, with respect to uh Obamacare and Medicare Advantage, there's a, there's a wide view that there's going to be a dramatic expansion 
uh, in Obamacare, funding of the exchanges, a push for Medicaid expansion to the remaining states. And Medicare Advantage is going to continue to be supported, but under a Biden administration, maybe not quite as friendly to for-profit companies as the Trump administration has been. So I'll leave it at that for now, Todd. I'll turn it back to you. That's great, Matt. Thank you. Uh, thank you for those comments. I know there are a lot of moving pieces there and, and you know, some things that are, are tough to, uh, to forecast. But you know, just a quick question on, on the pricing side, you know, based on your, your comments around volumes and, and some of the earnings, you know, what kind of insights did you glean about the pricing aspects for, for 2021? Right. Well, while it's too early to say definitively, because the pricing on the risk-based contracts really won't be finalized until we start getting into the early part of the fourth quarter, uh, there's broad agreement that it's going to be a challenging pricing season, given the very fluid and volatile cost base as compared to normal, and that therefore we may see a wider range of pricing outcomes than we do normally. And that may, to some extent, encourage stronger price competition. However, we have a special panel uh, with a representative from uh, Willis Towers Watson, Steve Lewis. And, you know, he's been looking at a very, uh, shall we say, uh, uh, oligopolistic market, concentrated market for the last several years. And, you know, he, he thinks that, unfortunately, from his standpoint, because he's representing purchasers, that we're not going to really see a lot of uh, breaking of ranks on the pricing front is probably going to remain a fairly disciplined market. Great, Matt. Really, uh, really appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, before I wrap up the call, I'd like to pose a question or really the same question to, to each of our, uh, our participants. Based on your conversations with investors and management teams, uh, both during and after the conference, what company within your coverage universe, kind of whether or not they actually participated in the conference, but you know, what company within your coverage university believe uh, is best positioned to outperform over the longer term, or if you have more than one, uh, that's fine as well. Let's, uh, let's go down the same order as the prepared remarks. So we'll start off with Gary Nachman, then go to the biotech team. That's Matt Lucchini, George Farmer, and Doe Kim, and we'll wrap it up with Matt Borsch. So uh, Gary, you mentioned uh, Horizon. Um, would that be the one that you're coming out with or uh, you know, like to provide additional commentary there? Yeah, Todd. Um, so just piggybacking off of our previous comments, like you said, um, I, I think the company that should outperform the most over the long term is Horizon. Uh, the sentiment there has been fantastic and I, I think should continue for the foreseeable future. In addition to the upside with Tepeza that we outlined before, we could see good upside from their other big horse, Christexa, for chronic gout because there's going to be more use of that product with immunomodulators like a methotrexate where you get much better results, maybe double the results that you do with Christexa monotherapy. That peak target for Christexa is also a billion and doesn't factor the combo use in a meaningful way. It's important to think of their two horses and how much upside they could have from both of them. Horizon has also done a great job improving its balance sheet and can now do more M&A to expand its pipeline, where it has a lot more credibility now with Tepeza. Um, and the stock trades at a premium, but I think deserves to. Um, and it should definitely be a core holding for anyone who's investing in biopharma. Great. Definitely, uh, definitely see the, uh, the value there in Horizon. 
Thanks, Gary. Let's uh, let's turn to biotech and kick it off with Matt Lucchini. Please, Matt, over to you. Great. Thanks, Todd. So I'll highlight a name that wasn't at the conference, Kodiak, ticker KOD, uh, outperform rated stock for us. And why we think it has long-term potential disruptive potential is it's focused on the treatment of retinal disease. Uh, specifically, it has a potential to disrupt the multi-billion dollar anti-VEGF market. Think Regeneron's ILEA, Roche and Genentech's Lucentis. Think that uh, the lead drug KSI-301 phase 1B data has provided really encouraging proof of concept showing not only promising efficacy and clean safety, but the potential to meaningfully extend the dosing interval relative to existing VEGFs. Given the 2019 branded VEGF market opportunity was, it's a $9 billion commercial opportunity. The market opportunity for KSI-301 looks really substantial. We're going to have another data update uh, mid to late next month, and then we're going to have key uh, Dazzle data uh, next year. So, you know, I, this is an opportunity. This is a this is a big market, and um, there the company is going after not only AMD but DME and RVO, um, and they have the, the KSI three hundred one could ex- could extend the dosing interval from two to three months to five to six months. And, you know, that kind of opportunity, we've seen what Regeneron's been able to do for, for Kodiak, that would provide a whole set of legs to the story that could take this company well into the future. Great. Matt, thanks. All right, let's stick with Biotech. We'll go with uh, George Farmer. George. Yeah, Todd. Um, you know, one of, one of our top picks going into the, the rest of the year uh, and early next uh, was not, unfortunately, at our conference, uh, but that would be Blueprint Medicines. BPMC. This is a company that is uh, awaiting an FDA decision on a lung cancer drug, which looks really good. It's uh, for treating a a very niche type of lung cancer that's driven by a specific genetic mutation. Uh, The drug will be competitive with a newly approved drug out of Lilly um, for the same indication. And we think that the street has kind of come around recognizing that these drugs are more similar rather than different. Um, and while Lilly may have the marketing muscle behind it, uh, we think the fact that that blueprint drug is at least equivalent um, kind of sets them up to be in a really good place to, to attract interest from a larger player, whether that be an outright acquisition or a licensing deal. We, we think that, that is, this is really very ripe for something happening uh, strategically, that could be very positive for the company. They also have another drug for treating an inflammatory disease indication, which appears to be the best in class. And we're going to see a lot more data from from that program uh, at the end of the year and also in the middle of next year. So that that's that's one of our, our top names going forward, especially given also the fact that they're well capitalized as well. Great. Thanks, George. Joe, how about you? Thanks, Todd. So, um, I'll answer the question from a different approach. Uh, I have a few companies that will have important clinical data for the rest of the year, and uh, that should set up shares to outperform longer term. Besides BioXL, which I mentioned having data in July, we have Amgen, ticker AMGN, uh, one that everyone is familiar with. Uh, they have phase three tezapelumab data in severe asthma in the fourth quarter of this year. Uh, two small cap companies I like to highlight, uh, ScholarRock, ticker SRRK. They will have phase two data for a rare muscle disorder called SMA, and then phase one data uh, in solid tumors for an immuno-oncology drug, both of them in the fourth quarter of 2020. 
And lastly, RAP Therapeutics, ticker RAPT, they're going to have their first clinical data for a cancer drug in the third quarter, and then an atopic dermatitis uh, therapy uh, in the fourth quarter of this year. Um, that's it, Todd. All right, Doe, thank you. Mr. Borsch, if you'd please uh, bring us home, what was one company within your coverage universe that after the uh, the conference and with conversations with in- investors and management teams, you think will outperform uh, over the longer term? Yeah, uh, thank you, Todd. I, look, uh, Centene has been our favorite uh, and remains our favorite, and we sincerely believe it's the best position here. Uh, you know, that the, the circumstances have actually combined to make it uh, sector relative, at least, an even better opportunity than it was uh, pre-pandemic. And, and really what I'm referring to is, is valuation on top of the growth outlook that we had coming into this and still have. And then on top of that, the counter cyclical effects of uh, being so heavily weighted to Medicaid and Obamacare exchange enrollment, which is picking up even as the, the commercial side sees, uh, sees some erosion. So that's where we are. All right, Matt, thanks for, uh, thanks for that. Excellent. Well, folks, uh, that'll do it. Thank you to Gary Nachman, Matt Lucchini, George Farmer, Doe Kim, and Matt Borsch for their commentary. And of course, a special thank you to our listeners for joining us for another episode of the BMO Intune podcast. Please be safe and do your part to keep yourself and others healthy. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.